<clears throat> we, uh, we've been journeying now through the Gospel of John off and on for a long time. I, I, uh, some people have asked how long. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't like tallied it up or anything like that. I know we started in November of 2005, um, and we've finished three or four other books since then, uh, short books. We've done some other series and other things. We, we spent a lot of time in John. John has become, I was reading through it again this week, and it just, again, reconfirmed to me that there is no, there is no better presentation of the gospel than the gospel of John. I mean, it's just, it just jump, the gospel just jumps off the page everywhere. You see Jesus in so many different ways in the gospel of John than you do anywhere else, really. And so, uh, I've loved John. I, I love him more now. I love it more now than I did when I started. And that's a good thing. I love Christ more now than I did when I started, which is the best thing. And, uh, I know a little more. I hope one day I'll know more than I do now, but I know, I can say he's taught me a lot. And I hope he's taught you. We've got this sermon and next sermon to finish it. All right? And this is what we're doing. We've finished all of the expositional uh, text, uh, going through the text verse by verse, okay? Now I want to go back. And I want to take a bird's eye view of this book. Because I, I, I think we can get lost in the, in the trees. And we don't see the whole forest. And so I want to back up now that we've been down on the minute level. I want to back up now and take a big 35,000 foot look at the Gospel of John. So uh, I want you to turn to John 20, 30 through 31, and hold your place there and we'll get started. The, the bumper sticker man, Dan Merchant, set out across the United States some months ago. And uh, he was in search of why the United States of America is so divided on the issue of Christianity. He documented his experience. He himself is a pastor uh, in Portland, Oregon, and uh, he, he documents his findings from street interviews with normal people, unprepared, just him walking around literally with a, a painter's suit on with bumper stickers all over it, of, of all different kinds of bumper stickers, liberal, conservative, religious, non-religious, Christian, just a lot of different things. And uh, so he looked odd, and he grabbed the crowds, and he just asked questions, and he listened to their responses, and he recorded them and documented them in the documentary film, Lord, Deliver Us From Your Followers. Good title. It caught my own Netflix, and I watched it right there. You can watch it on Netflix tonight if you want to. I would recommend it. It's shocking. It's really shocking to see... As you view the journey from city to city, personality to personality, conversation to conversation, as Dan just asked questions about Christianity, church, Christians, Christ, moral issues. In general, he's just trying to get into the heart of a lot of hurting people and find out what's going on and what they think and what they feel. I was captivated by their honest responses. Captivated by it. He was able to get from most of his interviewees uh, this idea that really saddened me. It made me sick. And that is that Jesus is categorically different than those who call themselves Christians. That was the overwhelming response on the street. You talk about Christianity, they're infuriated. You mention Jesus, they calm down. 
And they began to describe him. And this is the way they described him. They described him as a, a good man, a healer, a man of love, a prophet. On the streets, it becomes evident that we don't really know who Jesus is. We don't really know who he is. Who is Jesus? I think there's no question more fundamental than that question this morning. Who is Jesus? There's, there's, there's no question you can ask which begs a more important answer. Who is he? You know, uh, we in this room would try to answer that question, I think. And some of us would uh, pretend to know an answer. You know, it would sound good. Some of us would recite facts that surround Jesus' life. We probably learned them in Sunday school years ago. Maybe a fact or two this morning that we might be able to put forward. A few might, if asked privately, secretly, admit, I don't really know who Jesus is. I know a lot about him, but I have no clue. You might admit that. But in the South, Jesus has become a great cultural icon. Hasn't he? He is as important in the South as apple pie, firecrackers on the 4th of July, and fried chicken. Put him right up there with those things. Jesus. This is Jesus to our world, to our culture, to our churches, to the people on the street. Everyone in this building has heard of Jesus. Stories about Jesus. You probably prayed to Jesus in hope that He would give you everything your heart desires. And then when you die, regardless of how you've lived your life, He's going to take you to go to heaven. Because you prayed a prayer. Let me tell you. Just to be honest, the cultural Jesus of the South has to die. He has to die. He is a God in our own making. Whenever your God agrees with everything that you personally believe, clue number one, you've made a God after your own image. If you're comfortable with Jesus all the time, He's your pal that goes to the drugstore with you, you need to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who's Jesus? We hear from the people on the street that He's good, that He's moral, that He's loving, merciful, generous. He's a prophet. This morning, I want to turn your eyes to the Word of God and see who is this man, Jesus Christ. John 20, 30-31, John writes the purpose for his writing, the summation statement of his great gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. When John was asked the question, who is Jesus? His answer is a resounding, He is God. And you must believe in Him to have life. The entire Gospel of John is written so that we might have this purpose accomplished. That we might know Jesus Christ. John wants us to see that true life and he wants us to see that true teaching that comes from Jesus. He wants to see both. The organization of this book, by the way, is, is, is 
significant in my mind. It's, it's unique in some ways. It's very average in other ways. There's a prologue, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. The introduction of Jesus as the eternal one, the word of God. The one who came in the flesh, pitched his tent and dwelt among us in verse 14. And then he was baptized by John, called his first disciples. And then it leads off into a very different story. A story organized in the body of the story around sevens. Sevens. Seven signs. Seven teachings. Seven I am statements. Seven witnesses to Jesus. Seven ways to understand what faith is. Seven, 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 seven. You think, John must have some purpose. And then you remember, what did the Hebrews believe about the number? Seven. Completion. Completion. Even in the way he outlines his book, even the way he writes the information, he's telling you, The covenant is complete in this man, Jesus Christ. You need to know Him. You don't need to know about Him. You need to know Him personally. And He kept driving the point home for us so we would get it, so we would understand it. He edited it in such a way that we couldn't miss it. And yet we miss it. We miss it. We don't see it often. He wrote these things that we might believe in Jesus. The Messiah. The God-man, the completer of the covenant, the one who in, the, in him all the promises of God are yes and finished. That's why he wrote it. But who is Jesus? I mean, yet again, I've told you a bunch of facts. But that's not really how you need to know him, is it? Only. You need facts. But you need more than facts. Who is he? Well, go with me for just a few minutes, and we're going to try to answer the question from John through the book. John chapter 8. Now turn to John 8. And this is going to be very different. If you're here Sunday after Sunday, we get in a passage, we stay there, we don't flip a lot of pages, we dig down deep. This is the bigger thing, so you're going to be flipping, turning. Okay? John 8, 48 through 59. Jesus is... The great I am. That's the answer to the question. Who is Jesus? He is I am. And he says that in John 8, 48 through 59. The Jews answered him. He's having this discussion with the Jewish leaders, with the people standing around. He's been at the feast of booze and, 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 and he's come back from that. He said that he's... Uh, the light of the world and he's the truth and the, and the truth will set you free. He's given them this whole speech and now he's in a debate with the Pharisees who claim to be children of Abraham, followers of God. And they've called him a demon. A Samaritan possessed by a demon. Jesus. That's, that's who they think he is. And now he's at the end of his discussion with them. Listen to what he says. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me. Of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I did not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and I keep His word. I want to stop there. Kind of explodes the whole good guy thing, doesn't it? Jesus just looked at a bunch of people and called them a liar. Them's fighting words. He's not going to coddle your false perceptions of who he is. He's going to blow them up. He takes no prisoners. He's full head of steam, Jesus. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Here it is. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to stone him. But he hid himself and went out of the temple. Why would they pick up stones to stone him? Because he didn't say he was a good person. He didn't claim to be a prophet. He said, I am, which means I'm God. You may be sitting in these pews today and you think you can take Jesus on your terms. You're not God. You can't make up the terms of the engagement. He will engage you how He chooses, when He chooses, and it will be on His terms as the great I Am. He is the great I Am. Now that loses a little in translation for us through the time because I Am, you're thinking, you English teachers are saying that's all out of whack because that's not even good English. I mean, it's a, okay, I Am. Wow, wonderful. Now, but there's a background. There's a history to this name. I am. I am is the name of God from which we get the word and the name Yahweh. Jehovah. Yahweh. The covenant name of God is I am. Every time you see the name I am, it is in reference to God as signifying God as Redeemer. Savior, covenant God, promise keeper. That's who he is. And he identified himself this way. He wasn't given this name. So many of his names come to us in the scripture through the narratives of the Old Testament. And they come from somebody saying, God is my healer. God is my provider. God is my mighty banner. God goes before me. These are things that people said about God which are true of His character and they tell us a little of who He is. But God chose one name for Himself to reveal Himself. And that name is I Am. And He did it in Exodus chapter 3. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. 
Hold your place in John. We're coming back there. Exodus chapter 3, for the background of who Jesus is and who He's claiming to be as I am. Exodus 3, the famous story where Moses is in the wilderness tending the sheep of his father-in-law and hears the voice calling him. And he turns aside and says, I'm here. Having seen this bush burning but not being consumed, hearing his name called, he goes to the bush. And then in approaching the bush, out of the bush, comes a voice saying, stop and take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's come into, in a sense, a holy of holies experience. And Moses takes his sandals off and he stands before God. And they have a conversation. God gives him a job to do. Go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The most powerful man in the world, you, the shepherds, go in there and tell him. Stinking like sheep. We've talked with our God. He wants us to worship for three days in the wilderness. Let us go do it. Great plan, right? Good exit strategy. If you and I were planning the bust out, the breakout of, oh, I don't know, several couple million people from a country whose leader has them enslaved to build great, tab- great, great uh, towers for his name. They're slaves in his land. They do his bidding. That's a great exit strategy, right? Just go in and say, hey, we're going to go worship for a little while here in the desert. Don't watch. It'll take a while for us to get out of the country. But just turn a blind eye to it. We'll be back when God tells us to come back. I'm sure the most powerful man in the world says, Oh, certainly, Moses. You being a shepherd, just shepherd the people on out. We'll, we'll do the work while you're gone. Not quite. And Moses knows it. He says, Well, I'm not good at talking. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> you didn't make me to be able to speak well. Yeah, well, okay. Since you want to use excuses, take Aaron with you. I made him eloquent of speech. He'll speak for you. You take the rod and go. Well, well, God, when I get there, they're going to want to know who told me to come. It's been hot in the desert. Maybe I'm crazy. Who should I tell them sent me? That's where I want to pick it up. Verse 13. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your Father has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is His name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I be who I be. It's a better translation. I have always been, I am now, and I will always be. There's no shadow of turning. There's no changing. I am God. Yahweh, this covenant name, comes out right here in a talk with Moses, his servant. Say to this people of of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, this is the connection with redemption. He tells them the name and then look what he says. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the more common name previous to this passage for God is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. I am is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out of affliction in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land. So we get the name, I am. It means I'm eternal. Begin, no beginning, no ending. I never change. I am God. And I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to redeem you. Not renovate. Not make a few changes on the surface. I'm going to take you from Egypt and put you in the promised land, Israel. And then turn back to John 8. Now we're going to stay in John, but we're going to move here. I want to paint a picture for you. I think John painted it, and I just want to talk about it. John 8, the context of him saying, I am, is so amazing. Look back at verse 12. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he goes down teaching them about being the light of the world and the fact that those who are in the light are not in the darkness. He begins to be questioned by the people standing there. And they begin to wonder, is he going to kill himself because he prophesies that he's going to die? He's going to go away. and They can't find him. And then he clearly tells them that he's going to be crucified in verse 28. Now, in verse 31, look at this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. I am. And I will set you free. What did he say in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses? I am, and I will set my people free. Jesus is not making a mistake here. He didn't bump his head. He didn't wake up with some vision in the dark and then go talk about it. Jesus purposefully is telling them, just as God delivered your fathers out of Egypt into the promised land, so I am, and I will deliver you from the desert, from the captivity from the slavery of sin, I will set you free. That's why they picked up stones and wanted to throw them at him. Because they knew he wasn't saying, I'm kind of like God. I'm a good prophet. I speak on his behalf. They knew he was saying, I am God. I'm God. This is Jesus. He's not. He is not a prophet. He is not a good man. He is God himself. That's who Jesus is. And I can answer Dan's question. That's why the world is so divided about him. That's why the world's so divided about him. He clearly says it. He makes it known. And look what he does. In verse 34, after they say, well, we're the children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Look at his answer. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now we know he's not talking about delivering them from Egypt. He's talking about delivering them from sin. 
Again, the ties are there and they're direct. And Jesus is being openly, openly proclaiming the fact that He is God. He is God. Anybody who tells you Jesus never claimed to be God has not read the Word of God. Not very closely. This text puts it beyond doubt. Okay? Still, you look at me and say, okay, so He's the great I Am, and He delivers us from our sin, and, and so, great, wonderful. But some of you, sadly, don't even know you're still in your sin. You have had an experience of some kind. You've been convinced by a family member, a pastor, yourself. Uh, you prayed a lot, and you felt like you know who Jesus is. And now this morning you're saying, yeah, I, yeah, but Carl, I don't know. I, I still don't really get I don't know what you're saying about him being I am. What's so great about it? My contention is, I may be wrong, that there are seven ways to talk to us in our, heart, in, in our inner man about separation from God. There's seven ways, and John hits all seven of them, and he uses I am and then puts a description after it. And these are the seven things that John says about the I am statement, and you need them. You need them today, and you need to know, am I the one that's asking this question and don't have an answer? Jesus is the answer. The first way that John says, describes I am to us in the Gospel of John is in chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I would just ask you, are you spiritually? Spiritually. We're a very spiritual culture. Are you spiritually hungry? You're spiritually famished. You're starving to death. You're searching everywhere. You're eating a lot of stuff. Eating a lot of stuff off TV, off the radio, off some spiritual books. Uh, the, 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 the gurus, the self-help gurus are pumping their stuff and you're, you're swallowing that hook, line, and sinker and you're just, every day you get more hungry, not less hungry. Are you spiritually hungry this morning? Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. You're famished? You eat me. John chapter 6. Look at verse 35 where he makes the statement. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That speaks volumes to some of you because you've never known anything but hunger spiritually. You've never known anything but dryness spiritually. You've sat around for hours and days and months and now years wondering was there any spiritual component to life at all because you've tried everything and come back wanting more. And Jesus is dealing with people that are in the same boat as you in this text. They've tried Judaism. They've kept the law best they could. They've listened to good teaching. They've heard all the other Roman ideas most likely. And they're still wanting more. They're in the desert. Jesus feeds them miraculously, by the way. Gives 25,000 people bread and fish from five loaves and two fish feeds them. The next day they come back. Wouldn't you come back? Greatest food bank in all the world. And Jesus tells them, you didn't come to me 
because you love me and you know me. You came to me because you want breakfast because I gave you supper last night. I'm the bread of life. The one who eats from me will never be hungry. What is he trying to say? Stop seeking the material fulfillment of this hole that is in you spiritually. You can't get it that way. Obesity is out of control in the United States of America. There's a lot of factors. I'm not trying to boil it down to simply, simply this one, but let me tell you. The main reason I believe we have an obesity problem here is we have plenty of supply and we have a huge hole in ourselves. You say, well, people are not whole in other countries. You're right, and they just don't have any food to eat. So they're hungry, spiritually and physically. But some of you have been feeding yourself physically to try to salve the hurt that is spiritual, just like these people in the wilderness. And Jesus would say, you can't do it that way. I am the bread of life. You want that hole filled? You want that hunger satisfied? You have to eat my flesh. If they eat me, you have to ingest who I am completely, utterly, on a molecular level. If you don't, you're going to be hungry. And I look at you and you're hungry. A lot of you. And some of you, unfortunately, that's the fourth pastry you eat. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to love you. That's the reason you eat that fourth pastry. It's because it feels good in the moment. It, 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 it just does something for you. That's why God said, your belly cannot be your God. I am the bread of life. He didn't stop there. That's not the only way that we see that we have a need for God is hunger spiritually. There's another question. Are you lost in the dark? When this world was being created, it was completely dark. And then God spoke and there was light. And when Adam sinned, darkness came back over the world. It enslaved the world. The world became utterly dark spiritually. And some of you are groping in the darkness. John chapter 8. Jesus answers that for you. John 8 verse 12. I am the light. I am. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I, I, I believe it's instinctive for humans, and you all know this if you raise children, to be afraid of the dark. We hate the dark. Don't you hate the dark? I mean, as you get older, you can use the dark to your advantage. But if you and I are walking down the streets at Noble Street and it's pitch dark, instinctively we know this isn't a good situation. And God's wired us in this way. There's a real connection between these things, I think. Because we know it's out of place. It's not right. When we get to the eternal home where we are going, the new world, there will be no night. There will be no darkness. 
Why? Because darkness spiritually exists in this world. And God will eradicate it finally, completely, visibly. He will sign the warrant over it. It's done. I am the light of the world. Some of you are in such darkness right now spiritually. You're playing with witchcraft and you call it a 1-900 number where you're trying to get the future. It's cards. It's boards. You think it's a game. You think it's fun. Some of you are in darkness. And that's the darkness of materialism. You're so wrapped up on who you are, what you have, what you can achieve. You keep bumping your head against that wall of darkness. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You can't see it. But when he turns the light on himself, when he comes in the room, he lights it up. Previously in John, John chapter 3, we're told that you don't have to go there. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the world hates the light and they run like cockroaches when I come because they hate the light. Do you get real uneasy when the conversation turns spiritual and goes to Jesus, you're okay as long as it's not about Jesus. But when it comes to Jesus and there's this presence of His presence there, you get real uneasy. On these interviews on the street, you'll watch it. People get real uneasy when Dan, when Dan pushes them about Christ. They, 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 they start just backpedaling. You know, hey, whoa, hey. You know, Jesus is a good person. He's great. Yeah, let's move on. Hurry up. You right? They're scared of Him because they live in darkness. They love the darkness. They hate the light. And when He comes, He turns the light on. He turns the light on. I'm the light of the world. That's not the only way. Are you seeking security and shelter? Security, shelter, basic needs. Everybody around the world is seeking security and shelter. How many times have we said, we've got a roof over our head, we're good. Jesus in John chapter 10 says, I am the door. I'm the door to the sheepfold. I'm the door to the sheepfold and he who comes in will find security and will go out and find pasture. I'm the door. I'm security. I don't know of another one better than this one for our church because some of you are so wrapped up on being secure. Your whole world revolves around whether the stock market went up five points or down five points. Whether the bank account has plenty or little. Whether, and that's, that's the checking account because we're not even talking about the savings account because we have multiple savings accounts for a rainy day. And Jesus is all the while saying, I'm secured. I was talking with someone this week who's fussing because um, 
you know, I clearly don't have sense enough to have enough life insurance for my family. I have life insurance. I don't need the lecture. Please do not send the salesman to my home. I've heard it all. I'm not against it. I'm not telling you not to have it. I'm telling you if that is your security or your bank account or the stock market or your relationship with your wife or your job, or <clears throat> it's flimsy. It's worthless. It's like a puff of smoke. It's no good. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the door to the sheepfold. If you want to be secure, you come through me. He didn't just say, I am, and walk off. He said, I'm the bread of life. If you're hungry, eat me. I am. I am the light of the world. You're in the darkness. You need to see truth. Look to me. I'm the truth. You're in the world wandering, looking for security. There is none out there, only inside me. Come through the door. I am the door. Come through me. There's no side doors. There's no ladders to climb over and in. There's no alternate routes. There's one way. I am the door. And he answers the question that ultimately is in people's hearts naturally. Why am I saying naturally? Because I think God put them there. I am not saying it is wrong to want to eat. I'm saying it's wrong to make eating the replacement for our God, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's wrong. Neither does the Bible say it's wrong to search for light in darkness. That's for sure. I'm not saying, please don't hear me saying, go live on a street corner. Anything you own is a sin. No. The people in the Bible own things. That's not the point. The point is, is that your security? And if it is, then give it away, sell it, do whatever you got to do to get out of it. It's that important. Because if that's your security, you can't have security. And these are basic questions. Shelter's a basic need that God gave His people to point them to their inadequacy and their need for something much bigger. Are you seeking protection? Seeking protection. I get this one a lot. My, my, we're going to have a, Lord willing, we're going to have a baby between now and July 27th. And Amy's grandma's coming to stay with us. I love Granny. I love her. She's all about protection. She wants us to live in a bubble in some ways. You know, I'm down by in the yard talking to the neighbor. The kids are riding the bike. It's not close enough. You know, I need to be closer. It's all about security. It's all about protection. It's all about not something bad not happening. And, 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 and you live that way in life. You're seeking security and protection and safety. Jesus answers it. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says it in John chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. In John 10, here in verse 11 through 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Some of you, as I'm preaching, you have not connected with any of these previous questions until I got to this one and now all of a sudden you said, dude, I'm facing cancer. I got some tests looming, and I don't know what the answer is going to be. You're in the throes of life. You've lost jobs. You've had your marriage on the rocks. God has put you in all number of circumstances to show you you are not secure, and you can't make yourself secure. And then Jesus answers the question, you want security? I'm the good shepherd. The wolves are at the door. You need to get behind me. You're under attack. I'm the only one who can defend you. You're defenseless without me. Are you seeking security? Are you seeking protection? Jesus is the answer spiritually. You you can't know the satisfaction of real security unless you know Him. Are you seeking eternal life? Some in the Bible were. Some in here are. And they're looking for it in all manner of ways. The secret hit all time highs a few years ago. You might remember it was on Oprah and all these gurus wrote these chapters about eternal life and how to get it and how to plug yourself into energy and all these wonderful things. They were looking for eternal life and millions bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Went to conferences only to find out that they were all a bunch of sham artists. Matter of fact, one of them in deserts of Arizona killed four people because of his connecting with the juices of life. And he's on trial now for murder. And right, he should be. And you think, those people are crazy. I wouldn't ever do anything like that. You would if you're really looking for eternal life. And can't find it. Don't ever look down your nose at somebody who's seeking the answer to eternal life. Don't ever play them off like a fool. They get it. They may not know where it comes from. They may not have the answers. But they understand this life's coming to an end real fast. And if this is it, I'm in trouble. I need an answer. And Jesus answers it in chapter 11 of John. He says... I am, verse 25, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's begging you to believe it. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is eternal life. If you came in here this morning having read the latest top ten list on spirituality, throw it in the trash and pray and seek Christ. He is eternal life. There's no one, two, three steps. There's nothing you can do to get it. He is it. And you will have Him on His terms or you'll continue your search fruitlessly. He's not going to change to meet you. He is I am. Every one of these statements starts with I am. It's the statement of being. He is not going to change. That means He won't let you down when you believe in Him. 
It also means He will not change so that you will believe in Him. He is God. That's who He is. I am the resurrection and life. Are you seeking a way to God? Some of you say, I'm seeking eternal life. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry. I need security, but I just don't know how to get to God. Jesus answers that. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. What a beautiful statement about this search coming to an end in one person, in Jesus. I am the way. Not a way. The way. I am the life. Not a life. The life. I am the truth. Not one of many truths. I am the only truth. And so some of you, as you sit here, you say, I'm, I'm looking for God, Carl, and I just can't find Him. You're like that 70s play, Godot. And you're sitting under the tree, and God ain't showing up. He's there. He's real. He's the I Am. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way. Finally, in this book, he portrays himself as the I am. And he would say, are you seeking belonging? You want purpose. Well, we know Americans do. Because you can write a book about the purpose life and sell 40-something million copies of it. Or whatever the number is. I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying it's obvious people are hungry for it. They're looking for purpose. I don't have to ask you if you want to belong. You join this church. And some of you, that's exactly why you join it, because you need to be belonging to something. We got whole industries made from belonging to something. That's all they offer is just you can join us. It's a basic desire in the heart of man to belong, to have purpose. Jesus answers it. In John 15, in a most beautiful way. And John saved this one for the end. I I think for, for good reason. All those others are wonderful. And they're famous. And they're on books and plaques and songs. And and this one's not so much. And yet, I think it's the most beautiful of all the pictures. Jesus says, I am. I'm God. The vine. The true vine. Look what he says. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
the climax. The climax in some ways to all the I am statements is right here. Because it simply takes everything out of our realm. Out of our hands. I can't do this one. I can't do it. Do you feel that? Jesus said, I'm a vine. How can I as a branch make myself part of that vine? The vine comes first, then the branches. How can I put myself on the vine? You can't. But He can. And He does. For everyone who is hungry, come eat. Everyone in darkness, He is the light. For all of us seeking security, He is the door into the sheepfold. Protection, He is the shepherd that lays down His life. He's drawing us in. You're looking for eternal life? I'm eternal life. You're looking, searching for God. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And now we come to 15. I just want to belong. I, I want to be accepted. I want to be a part. I'm the vine. You're a branch. Just like the vine makes the branch produce fruit, I will make you produce fruit. Just like when the vine gets down on the ground, someone picks it up, cleans it off so that it may bear fruit, my Father's faithful. He will do it. You want to be a part of anything, something, you want purpose, however you want to phrase it, It's Christ. There's no plea for you to come join this church at this moment. Nor is there a plea that you make some outward move. The fact is, outwardly you can do nothing to make these I am statements apply into your life. God must do it. And because He must do it, He makes it clear He makes it clear in His Word what we then, what we then are to do in a moment like this. When we've had Christ presented to us, what, Carlton, do I do? Turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to close right here. And we're going to sing one song in closing. John chapter 1. Begin in verse 11. Jesus came to His own. And His own people did not receive Him. That's some of you. He's here. He's here through His Word Powerfully. And for some of you, you're going to again say, that's okay, I'll pass. Yep. 
So then he continues. But to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God. That's in the vine. He put them in the vine. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What do I do? Cry out to the vine dresser. Cry out to the one who built the sheepfold. Cry out to the one who cut the door, who hewn out the door into that sheepfold. Cry out to the one who sent the shepherd. Cry out to the one who holds the supply of eternal bread of life. Cry out to him and just beg and plead. Oh God, make me alive. Make me receive it. Make me believe it. If you will not cry out to Him, you will not receive it. It is that simple. And yet is that profound. God must do it in you. And when He does, you will cry out to Him to do it. And all I'm saying is, these moments are for that. That's what this is for. That's why I've been methodical and slow and patient and redundant sometimes and you've gotten maybe a little agitated with goodness. Stop. Your eternity is worth it. Stop and contemplate it. Do I know who He is? Or have I got a God to my own liking? And then cry out. And He will do by His power, what you could never do in all your years. Let's pray. Father, we are.